Well, if you have an outline there through the door on, on my right, on your right as you're leaving, you'll see the title for today's lesson is Living and Leaving a Christian Legacy. wasn't quite sure what I was going was gonna to speak on, and oftentimes I'll speak on things that have either come up during my uh, times at work, during conversations, or things that happen. Uh, and you guys will recall that quite often, as of recently, we had been requesting prayers for Brother Patton, who... Uh, preached for the Marshall Church of Christ down in Texas. Uh, we know that he had been in the ICU battling COVID, and unfortunately his body just really couldn't battle it anymore. And so as we got news of him uh, passing away, I began to have a number of thoughts within my mind, really about a number of things, but specifically about the Christian and the effect of their life in general. And I probably think that virtually every Christian who's trying to live a faithful life is concerned really to some extent about the legacy that they're going to leave. I mean, how are people really going to think about you when you're gone? What will the effect be? And I doubt that Philip was probably any less concerned about remaining faithful, and I'm sure that he wanted the same thing for those in his family. The passage that was chosen by Stephanie that she had posted on Facebook is one of my all-time favorites, if not my all-time favorite. I'm going to go on over to 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. She decided to post this uh, as she gave notice that Philip had passed away, and so I think it's beneficial we use this passage really today for our lesson. Here's the passage she wrote, and it was very simple. She just gave a verse and made a few words. It said, I have, fought a I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. through 8. And then she made the comment, Philip has gained his reward. I think the Christian's goal, at least if they're striving to be faithful, is really to leave a legacy as they strive for this crown of righteousness. Now, as we begin to look at this and... I want every one of us to do this for just a second. Begin to go back and, and look at your life and ask yourself, do you have regrets? I think we all have memories of shortcomings and bad decisions that we'd like to go back and change. And oftentimes, I think it is the realization of that and the regret which actually promotes us and pushes us on to faithfulness. I think oftentimes we look back at the things we had done or the people that we were and we don't want to be like that again. And so oftentimes those things are good. They're beneficial as they strive us really to be righteous within our lives. And I know that previous actions and words have left many people struggling with their behaviors and the hurts that they have caused. And how many of you are like me where you wish you could go back and there's some very specific things you wish you could do over. You wish you could change and you wish you could take away the hurts that you've caused on other people. Paul was one who had many regrets. Now I mentioned Paul because he's the one who by inspiration wrote 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Uh, Paul had many regrets. Paul had persecuted the church. Uh, he had really created havoc for Christians and he did it all in the name of Judaism and the name of his God. And literally he thought he was doing right. And even with all of that regret hanging over his head, we see that he was able to really live a full life. Let's go on over to 2 Timothy 1, 
We're going to start down in verse 12. It says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Now let me pause. I'm not going to go back and look at all the things that Paul did to Christians and to the church. But how could he even say this? Well, we learn later that Paul had been redeemed. We realize that, that Paul had done more for growing the church than he had ever done in persecuting the church. And so Paul, you know, Paul was one of the greatest workers we had for the New Testament church. And you have to wonder, did some of his regret because of the things he had done really push him to strive? He goes on, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast that form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Spirit which dwelleth in us. As we go back, if we were to spend quite a bit of time looking at Paul, we can learn a lot about how to live and to leave a Christian legacy from his example. But one of the very first things we have to do, and I think this is really what plagues many people in the world, is we have to go back and we have to even ask the question and then understand, why is it that man is even here on this earth? You really can't go any further until you answer that question. Some people think it's by accident. Some people think there's no person. There's no, there's no reason for uh, or purpose for us to even be here. Some think that, why even ask the question? And then there are many who just don't even care. But what is the whole reason for man? Well, we find that answered over in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Solomon, by inspiration, writes, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That's, all man. that's all men everywhere. That's all men, all women, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian. The whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep His commandments. Now let's go back to the passage that I started with. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. And go ahead and keep your finger there. Because to be somebody who can live and leave a legacy, there's some things that we need to do. First, we've got to fight the good fight. We then have to finish the course, and then we have to keep the faith. And so those are going to be our basic points. Let's talk about leaving a legacy. The first thing we have to notice is that requires fighting the good fight. We see that really in the first portion there of 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought a good fight. As the Christian is involved in a full-time spiritual battle, and I'm not going to go back, and I don't think I put it in your notes, but go ahead and jot down Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, where we talk about the armor of God. The Christian at all times, is he's in a battle. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, you could slide on back another, another uh, chapter there to, or sorry, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And again, we find the faith being equated to being a soldier. This charge, I, this is 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. 2 Timothy 2.3 talks about being a soldier. Here in 1 Timothy 1.18, he talks about warring a good war. But here's the question, what exactly are we fighting or contending for? And I think you'll find the answer for that over in Jude 1.3, where he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, 
which was once delivered unto the saints. Guys, our spiritual battle wholly revolves around the will of God. That is the entire purpose of the battle. We need to understand and we need to get people in the world to understand not all causes are worth the fight. But when you begin to talk about contending for the faith, one of the first things you've got to understand and get other people to understand is, is we need to be able to identify what the good fight even is. And so I'm going to go on over to 1 Timothy 6.12 because he talks about fighting this good fight. 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Guys, the fight, the, the fight of the faithful is not concerned about anything really that is worldly. It's a spiritual battle, and we're fighting against the world, and we're fighting against sin with the result of achieving eternal life in heaven. That is the whole purpose of the fight that we as Christians are involved in. I'm not going to go back and, and touch on the false doctrines of Calvinism and things like that, but many people around us, they're looking forward to some physical, earthly battle that will take place. That's not the kind of fight we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual battle in the here and now against sin and against all of those things that would cause us to not be faithful. Anything that would stop us from achieving our eternal reward. And that's, that's the whole thing here. It's, it's a fight for the ultimate reward, for the crown of righteousness. And so we have to do something. He literally says we have to lay hold on eternal life. If you were to tell someone to lay hold on something, that, that shows that they have to have desire and will and carry through, right? That's exactly what he tells us. Laying hold on eternal life means we can't be lukewarm. We can't be spectators or bystanders. We have to be involved. Let's go on over to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. You've got a lot of people who will claim to be faithful Christians, and yet when you begin to look at their lifestyle, what you'll find is, is they're not actively involved in carrying out this Christian faith. Notice what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Living and leaving a Christian legacy is all about consistency and temperance in all things. It means being faithful so that I myself am not going to be lost due to sin. What good is it to go around and tell people I'm a Christian, maybe even preach the gospel, or maybe even try to reach those around me when I myself could be lost because I'm not being faithful? That's really what Paul's kind of showing us in a nutshell. He teaches us that leaving a legacy requires finishing the course. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 4. Let's look again here at verse 7. Actually, I'm going to read down to verse 8 because I'm going to tie it into that. Again, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. That's what we're going to focus on here. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. This 
fight for the Christian legacy here is being equated to a race for an incorruptible crown. Now, when we think about races, we oftentimes today, we think about a race where only one person wins. That's not what we learned here, and that's not what we learned earlier as we were looking at some of the other passages. This race is going to have an awful lot of people who are going to be winners. They're going to all receive this crown of righteousness. It's not going to be as many as we'd like, but there will be multiple people who are going to finish this race and get this crown. How many of you guys know a Christian who, who obeyed the gospel, they gave, they gave the appearance or that they had all intentions of following Christ, but later they found some excuse or concern or distraction, and ultimately they gave up the kingdom of God. Let's look at Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. And guys, we don't, we don't want to be like the person described here. Luke 9, 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There's too many people that start out trying to live this legacy, trying to leave this legacy, and before you know it, somewhere, somehow, they've quit. They've gotten distracted or they've gotten off path. And so that leads us to the next point here in 2 Timothy 4, 7. For us to live and leave a legacy requires us to keep the faith. Notice again, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. It's not enough to just enter the race. You've got to finish it. I mean, anybody could enter into something such as the Boston Marathon, right? What's the whole goal? Finishing the race. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And here the Hebrews writer, he does a really good job. He's actually pointing back to chapter 11. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now in context, what's he talking about here? Who's this cloud of witnesses? Those are the people that he just named there in Hebrews chapter 11. And they testified through their lives of the power of obedient faith. What's the point? We have to be faithful until death. I think a good passage would be to go on over to Revelation chapter 2. Notice what he tells, uh, what is told to the church. Fear none of those things, this is Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Here's the important part I'm wanting to point out. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now you could look at that two different ways. 
You could mean up to and including somebody killing you. Be faithful unto even death. Or you could look at that and say, simply be faithful until you die. But in either situation, the goal is to receive this crown of life. And that's exactly what we notice over in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. We, we begin to talk about leaving a legacy. When we begin to talk about living a legacy, the whole thing is simply about abiding and being faithful and dying in that position. You know, we have constantly been warned about the risk of apostasy. And guys, we've all seen it all too much. Let's go on over to 2 Peter. We actually looked at this passage not long ago. It's not a pretty picture when you begin to talk about those who were once faithful and yet have departed from the faith. 2 Peter 2.20, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Guys, living and leaving a, a legacy means not turning from our holy commandments that we've been taught that we understand, that we need to adhere to, to be considered righteous. It means being focused on being found, found faithful so that we can attain this resurrection and this, this internal, eternal inheritance. Let's go on over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And let's notice what Paul writes to the church there in Philippi. Because he gives us some more understanding here. Philippians 3, starting in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and that the fellowship of his sufferings being made, comf being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying, if I had to summarize this? He says, receiving this crown has to be my main focus. I look at all of those other things that could have been or maybe that would have been, and I say all of that was really for nothing because Paul now has an understanding his focus has to be on achieving eternal life. And again, it, it goes back to exactly what we see there in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. Paul knew that he couldn't give up or let go of the truth. It's too valuable. Listen to Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Guys, it's the, it's the understanding and the keeping of this truth which is the basis of the legacy that we live or that we will leave. 
And if we want to be free, then we have to value the truth and we have to obey it. And I don't think anybody doesn't want, want their own family to understand it and obey it. Isn't that really the primary focus, especially for those of us who are parents? Live it out and leave it. And then you expect the next generation to do the exact same thing. We want to live and then leave the legacy. And it continues on. Listen to John 8, 30 through 32. These are the words of Jesus. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now the Hebrews writer over in Hebrews 5.9 really points us to Christ as our example. He says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Guys, if we want to live a legacy and leave a legacy, we have to be followers of Christ and imitators of Christ. Now here's the thing, and I'm not going to use a lot of verses for this, but I'll spend just a few as I focus in. All of us want to live and leave a legacy, at least I hope. But one of the things we need to understand that as we are doing that, guys, it is going to create happiness, but at the same time, it's going to create some hurt. And let me explain to you what I really mean by that. Let's focus in on the happiness for just a minute. Living and leaving a legacy is definitely going to, it is going to create happiness. And let me, I'm going to look at a couple of passages that focus on being happy, but we see this happiness with our family and our friends. We see it to those whom we've converted, but especially for us. Listen to John 13, 16 through 17. And I'll, I'll give you the context here so somebody doesn't think I'm taking this out of context. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. What's he talking about here in context? If you go back and read the passage, what he's really showing us here in this passage is talking about the serving of others. Now, if you begin to think about faithful Christians and you think of the number of ways in which we serve others, we bring happiness to other people in a lot of ways. It could be, it could be that we, we bring them strength and comfort and edification. It could be at times in which they need something. You know, I don't know many Christians when someone needs a shirt, we wouldn't give them the one off our back, right? And there are a lot of ways that we bring happiness, not only to ourselves and being able to serve people, but being able to bring happiness to those that we serve. Let's look at another passage where it talks about happiness. 1 Peter 3.14 But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake... Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Happiness comes when we are suffering for the gospel. Again, I think oftentimes Christians really rally around other Christians when these types of things take place. Congregations oftentimes are strengthened during this type of persecution. We don't see it that often in our society today. But you look at the first century church and you look how happy that con those congregations were as they were being persecuted, people were being killed for the faith, and they, they were binding together as a solid church family in the midst of all of that. They were happy. And he says, if you're suffering for righteousness, happy are ye. We notice very, something very similar over in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 
On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Guys, we can be happy when Christ has been glorified through our faithful lives. And so as we begin to talk about living and leaving a legacy, it is going to bring happiness to a number of people. But we need to understand that oftentimes because we have lived and we have left a legacy, it's going to be hurt. But I'm talking more of a selfish type hurt right now. When we lose somebody in the Lord, we lose a faithful worker in the Lord. We lose physically sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, parents, spouses. And I began to think about the effect of all of that. And I began to, I began to think about how we as Christians oftentimes deal with it. I began to also think a little bit about how the world deals with those things. For many of us, I'll dress for the, for the men here, but for many of us as men, I don't know how you guys were. Maybe you were taught kind of like me where men don't cry. I only saw my dad cry maybe two or three times. And every time was when somebody died. I've seen him slice hands open. I've seen him, I've seen him get hurt sometimes fairly bad, never cried. Men don't cry. But when I did see him cry, it was always related to somebody dying. Guys, when we go back and begin to look at the Scriptures and think about Martha and think about Mary and you think about their friends, they had a good reason to sit and to cry and to sorrow at the loss of Lazarus back in John chapter 11. Guys, the Scriptures never ask Christians to deny their feelings of loss and their grief. It's only logical for those of us as Christians to mourn the loss of that which we love, especially when it's a person who has lived and left a legacy. It leaves a hole. Guys, I, don't, I have no idea what the plans are for the Marshall Church of Christ. What do you do when you lose your minister? What happens, what happens here? What if I get killed by a bus? What happens at Benton Harbor? What, what hole does it leave? I got, a, I got a call this week to go do a funeral at Benton Harbor. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the lady, but she left a hole with somebody in that congregation, and every one of us does. The impact may, may seem to be smaller than we really think, but every congregation is impacted by the death of somebody who lived and left a legacy. But here's the thing, guys. When a brother or a sister passes away, there should be grief, and there should be also rejoicing. They both have a place. We grieve for what we lose, but we rejoice for what they have gained. It's kind of hard to determine which one you want to do at the time, isn't it? Do I cry because I'm selfish and they're gone? Do I rejoice because they've earned their reward? It's their legacy oftentimes, I think, as we go back and begin to think about that person that really brings us comfort. I don't know if anybody has Stephanie on their Facebook page, but have you noticed she's, she's talked a lot about Philip. She's posted pictures about Philip. What is she doing? She's using his legacy to bring herself comfort. For those of you who have been to another Christian's funeral, yes, there is sadness that takes place, but oftentimes we can go and we can rejoice as we look at that person, and it brings us confidence. It's the confidence that they have received their eternal reward, which allows us to slowly replace the grief with happiness. Guys, let's, let's end with two questions.
Do you want to live and leave a Christian legacy? If you do, it takes us back to 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. Are you willing to fight the good fight? Are you willing to finish your course? And are you willing to keep the faith? That's what it boils down to. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern for every one of us. We're going to fight the good fight. We're going to finish our course. We're going to keep the faith. That all starts by being added to the body. And so that would be my concern for anyone who is here today. Are you a Christian? It's not very complicated to become a Christian. I would, I would ask you to go back and read Acts, the Acts uh, or the Book of Conversions. I'm not going to give all the verses, but when you find people becoming Christians, it was not a complicated process. They were, they were taught about Jesus, that He was the Messiah. They understood about the church, about the kingdom, about the body. They were taught about the consequence of sin. And because they were taught that, you'll find that they repented of sin. You'll find they confessed Christ because they believed. And then you find they were immersed in water for the remission of sins. That's how simple it is to become a Christian. And then, then comes the hard part. Then comes the hard part. Continuing to live faithfully. Again, go back and look at 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. And so as I draw this to a close, that should be our concern. Guys, we don't know when we'll die. Philip Patton was 46. It's the same age as me. Any one of us could die any time. We need to always be prepared. We need to be righteous at all times. Go back and check, check yourself and ask, how, how has your week been? Where have you fallen short? If you haven't, I, I'm glad that you've had a very strong week, but many of us have struggled in certain areas. If you've fallen short, simply repent of it, turn from it, and again, be righteous. If there's a way that we can help you in any way, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.